Kids are dismissed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we'll be reading chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 as well. While you're turning there, I just want to say a quick thank you for allowing me this platform again. It's been a while, but I'm looking forward to it. And also, I just wanted to ask for your prayers over the next few weeks for me and uh, for Whitney and for Melissa Woods, who are going to be going on July 8th through the 13th to South Carolina with a bunch of uh, wild and rambunctious uh, youth. So we're going to need some prayers probably. But um, I do ask that you would pray for our safe travel and that you would pray for that week there. Landon Dowden, who's uh, a pastor in Tupelo, and I've taken some kids to a camp with him before, and he's going to be uh, speaking to them. So I'm really looking forward to that because I know that he's going to do a great job. But I do ask for your prayers over the next few weeks while I've got this platform. But while we're going back to First John, some of you probably know me as a simple kind of person. I don't like much complexity. I like simple explanations, I like simple conclusions to just about anything, and so, for example, if I go to the doctor, I want the simple explanation of what's wrong with me, right? I don't want the long, drawn-out doctor version, much like the mechanic. I don't want the long, drawn-out mechanic version. I just want to know the simple explanation and conclusion to what is wrong with me and or the car. Uh, So, that's not true of every area of my life. If you know me, you also know that I'm a big sports fan. Well, I like the complexities of sports. I like the game within the game. I like to know who's doing what, when, and why they're doing it. I like to get inside the coach's head. And some of you just want to know who's on top at the end, right? (laughs) I should have known. But some of you just want to know who's on top at the end. And that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. You like the simple kind of thing in sports, right? Well, the same is true of 1 John. 1 John gives us simple explanations and simple conclusions about our Christian walk. What do I mean by that? 1 John tells us things like God is love. That's a simple explanation of what God is. It also tells us things like that we need to love one another. Simple. It also tells us we don't need to love the world. It's not saying don't love those in the world. but What it's saying is don't look like the world. Simple. The same is true here in 1 John chapter 1. In chapter 2, we really don't get the theme or the reason why John is writing 1 John until we get to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, he tells them, I'm writing these things to you so that you may confidently know that you have eternal life. So what's he writing this for? He's writing it so that they will be assured that they are saved. They want assurance that they are saved. So the main theme of 1 John, and this includes 1 John 1 and 2, is that We want assurance of salvation. He's writing them so that they'll know that they know that they know that they're saved. So the whole context of 1 John is based around that. And that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to give you the three points on the front end. I'm going to ruin all of the suspense, which is probably not what you're supposed to do. But I'm going to do it anyway just so you'll know kind of the direction that we're headed. Because I don't want to beat you up too bad at the front when there's good news at the end. The three points is man problem is sin. That's the first point. Second point. God's solution is Jesus Christ. And then the third point is God's call is obedience. Let's read 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 6 together. 
This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have, we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had to worship you in song. I pray that it pleased you. Father, I lift up this time now that we have to worship you through the reading of your word. Lord, I ask that this would please you as well. Lord, I ask that you would give me strength, give me peace. Lord, I ask that you would give these in here open hearts and open minds to apply this truth to their life. Lord, we ask that you be with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first point was man's problem, sin. Man's problem is sin. Any of us in here would argue that point are fooling ourselves, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we can understand man's problem, we must more fully understand God's light. Verse 5 of chapter 1 tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God's light exposes our darkness, and we first must understand that the primary point of all of this is that God is light. What do I mean by God's light? Scripture most com commonly references this in two ways. It's multiple places all throughout Scripture. But first, I think we mean His holiness. His holiness. Also, I think we mean His goodness. If we look at Scripture to think about His holiness, I think of Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34. Moses was on top of the mountain, and he was, he was meeting with God. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, he starts coming down the mountain, and the people start seeing Moses, and his face is shining. His face was shining so much that the people in that day had to make a veil to put over his face so that they didn't have to squint their eyes just to look at him. So because Moses' face was shining, it wasn't because anything special that Moses did. Moses was in the presence of a holy God, which is the reason that his face was shining. So we're talking about his holiness, but we're also talking about his goodness. His goodness to light our paths. Psalm tells us that your word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. But also is his goodness to expose our sin. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. His goodness to expose our sin. 
So here's one thing. We cannot separate those two things. God is both holy and he is good. That's what he's talking about when he's telling us that he is light. So he's holy because he's holy. He cannot have any part of our sin, right? A holy God doesn't have any part of sin. But because he's good, he's going to provide a way out of that sin. He's going to expose that sin and refuse to keep us in it. He's holy and he's good. So we're going to look at the three if we say statements that are in uh, verses 5 through 10 in relation to this point. The first comes in, in verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here's John is addressing the people that are saying they have fellowship with God, but nothing in their life reflects that. These are the people that today we might say, well, they come to church on Sundays, but the other six of the days, days of the week, they look like a different person. Who's got that person in their mind? Anybody thinking of a person like that? I want you to think of a person like that. We can all probably come up with someone like that, right? Everybody got them? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think and honestly think if someone else would say that about you. Would someone else say that about you? We have fellowship with him while we are walking in the darkness. I can't use examples from your life because I don't know a whole lot about your life probably. But I'll just give you an example from my life. Some people that go to Walmart and see me there probably say that I'm walking in the darkness. Walmart can bring out the worst in me. Probably you too. But some people that go to Walmart and see me there probably say that I'm walking in the darkness. Some people that might see me on the roadway probably say that I'm walking in the darkness. If I'm in a long line, some people might say that I'm walking in the darkness. If my drink doesn't get refilled at the restaurant quick enough, the waiter or waitress might say that I'm walking in the darkness. So what I'm trying to communicate to you is I'm just as bad off as some of these people that John are talking, is talking about. What we need to realize is that we have Christ, we are carrying the name of Christ with us everywhere we go. So we need to constantly be walking in his light. We're going to camp, I mentioned we're going to camp in a few weeks. And at some point it's inevitable that I'm going to have this conversation at camp. I don't think I've ever been to one that I haven't had a conversation similar to this. But when we're going to a public place, whether it be a restaurant or to get ice cream or to go to Walmart to get something, I don't know. But whatever we're doing and we're going in a public place, I'm going to have a conversation with those youth that look something like this. I'm going to say, look, y'all are representing your families. So if your families were here, would they be proud of the way that you're acting right now or you're going to act in here? But you're also rep representing a Riverbend Church family. And if the Riverbend Church family saw this, would they be proud of the way that you're conducting yourself? And I'm thankful that the church van doesn't have our name on the side of it sometimes. But <laughs> would they be proud of the way that you're conducting yourself? But more than those two, more than you representing your family, more than you representing your church family, you're representing Christ. We carry the name of Christ with us everywhere we go. If we say that we are in the light, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we're walking in darkness, 
we're li- we lie and we are not practicing the truth. But he goes on in verse 8, and this is our second if we say statement. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John flips the coin on him. He's saying, these people over here are saying that they walk in the light, but they're actually walking in the darkness. And then these people over here, they're saying that they're actually sinless or they're perfect. It's kind of two totally opposite sides of the spectrum there. So he's moving to address people that were saying they were without sin. Why would they say that? Well, in that day, some believed that the only way to truly know God was to be perfect, to be sinless, when exactly the opposite is true, right? We see all throughout Scripture that we have to confess our sins to the Father. I relate this to my family. Growing up, I was mostly raised by my mom, and anytime I did something wrong, she would tell me to go to my room. And I'm sure most of us who were raised in different eras, we had something similar to this. But I would go to my room and I would have to think about what I've done. And as I'm in my room thinking about what I've done, I'm hoping that she was in the other room calming down, at least. Because I don't know what's about to happen. But then she would eventually come in and she would tell me, do you know what you did wrong? Yes. Why was it wrong? Well, because of this. Are you sorry for that? Yes. I would have to show genuine remorse, and sometimes there would even be punishment for that. That's beside the point. We would have to show genuine remorse. When I do something wrong to my parent, or when I did something wrong to my parent, that relationship then is broken, right? It's a broken relationship, but in order for it to be restored, we had to come together and I had to say, I'm sorry, I had to apologize. So that relationship then would be restored. And it's the same way with the Father. He knows what we did wrong. He's fully aware of what we did wrong. And at the same time, he still wants us to come to him. He wants us to confess that to him. Not only does he want us to get on our knees and confess it and ask for forgiveness, he wants us to get up and show an attitude of repentance of we're not going to do it again. Start coming back to him. So... In order to have a true, genuine relationship with the Father, you can't be like these and say that you have no sin because you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you, is what 1 John says. We have to restore that relationship through confession and repentance. Basically, what we have to do there is we have to agree with him about our sin. We're saying, yes, I agree, this is wrong. But he continues this thought in verse 10 with our third, if we say, statement. Verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we're actually making God a liar is what that said, if we say that we have not sinned. Romans 3.23 is a verse that most of you could probably quote if I asked you to probably learned it at vacation Bible school or somewhere like that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably a more proper translation of it would be something to the effect of, For all have sinned and continue on or go on falling short of the glory of God. So what does that verse tell me? It tells me that an essential part of trusting Christ as our Savior 
is that we first have to realize that we are helpless sinners. There's nothing that we can do to get out of our sin in and of ourselves. We can't get out of our own sinful hearts in and of ourselves. So where's the good news come in? I think Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 speak to this. Verses will be on the screen. But the passage out of Romans relates, from this morning, relates directly to this. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what Galatians 3 tells us, is that none of us are righteous compared to what God requires. What God requires is perfection. And because none of us are righteous compared to what God requires, this perfection, he tells us that we are cursed. But verse 13 in chapter 3 of Galatians tells us the good news. It says that Christ became the curse for us. Christ put our cursed state on himself. So what do we need to do in light of this? First, we need to realize that we're helpless sinners. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get righteous, so to speak. If we don't realize that, there's no way to have genuine fellowship with God. The only way, secondly, to get genuine fellowship and in a genuine relationship with God is only offered through Jesus so we've seen that he is light and we've seen that he is there's no darkness in him at all because he is light and because there's no darkness in him at all we see that we are helpless sinners we are helpless sinners and we can have no union with him apart from Christ and that leads us to our second point God's solution to man's sin problem is Jesus Christ. Read with me again verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. So in verse 1, he's telling us these things to guard us from sin. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he's telling us these things, that we are helpless sinners, to guard us from sin. But he's saying, if you do sin, so John knows the human condition, you can tell, because he knows there's always going to be a time where you and me fall at some point. He's saying, if you do sin, I'm giving you the way out. Here's the way out. So he's saying, I'm not coming to beat you up about your sin, because you all all, all are helpless sinners, but I'm coming 
to show you the hope that there is and that is found in Jesus Christ. He says in verse one that we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ. And then in verse two, he says that he is making propitiation for our sins. And I want to focus in on those two words. We have a savior who is an advocate for us. We also have a savior who brings propitiation for us. What does that mean? An advocate. An advocate, all of you probably know, is someone who argues our case, argues the case on our behalf. Someone who's on our side, so to speak. So Jesus is seated at his throne, and he's at work. He came and he did work here on earth, and now he's on his throne and he's working. What's he doing? He's advocating. He's not sitting back just twiddling his thumbs in his lazy boy. He's advocating for us. That's his job right now. He's advocating. He's with the Father. It says there in verse 1 again, he says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what he's up doing, he's up there, he's saying, yes, Clay is a sinner. Clay is a sinner. But he's telling the Father, he's saying, I've, I've done everything for that sin. You put all of the punishment on me, you don't have to punish Clay again. You've punished me. You've put all of the punishment on me. That's an advocate. He's on our side. He's working for us right now. He's working for our propitiation. What's propitiation? Propitiation is a claim that has been satisfied. A claim that has been satisfied. A debt that has been paid. One of my favorite hymns, and there's been some newer renditions of this, and I'm okay with that, is one of my favorite hymns is I Need Thee Every Hour. It says, I need thee, oh, I need thee, Every hour, I need thee. What's the significance of that? When I was eight years old at a kid's camp, and Christ came into my life, I needed him then. That's not the last time I needed him. I still need him now. I need him every hour. Why do I need him every hour? Because he's advocating for me right now. Jesus is not going to do this, but if he were to stop advocating for me right now, I'd be in trouble, just as you would be in trouble. I need him to be my advocate every single hour. In my preparation, I was um, listening to a sermon by a man named J.D. Greer. And in that sermon, it was on this exact, exact text here. And he said a quote that kind of stuck with me, and I wanted to share it with you. And he just basically said, cheer up. You are worse than you think, and Jesus is far better than you could have hoped. I like that quote. Why do I like that? Well, because it says, cheer up. You are worse than you think. Sometimes I try to justify my sin. I might say it's not as bad as I think it is, whatever. But it is that bad. It's much worse than you think. Why is it bad? Because God is holy, going back to that. It's bad because God is holy and we cannot have a relationship with him in our sin. But the good news in that quote is that Jesus is far better than we could have hoped. Jesus is far bigger of a savior 
and we are a sinner. His grace reaches far more than what our sin could ever be. Some of the greatest news that I think we could ever hear. What was God's solution? God's solution was Jesus Christ. We just need to put our faith and our hope in Him. So we've seen that we are dark. We are dark. God is light. God's light exposes our darkness. We've also seen that God is good. Because of God's goodness, His grace, and His mercy, Jesus paid the debt that we owed. And because Jesus paid the debt that we owed, we owe Him something, right? We just sang the song, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. What do we owe Him? Let's look at verses 3 through 6 for our final point. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So because he's paid the debt that we owe, a debt that we could never repay, we owe him our lives. We owe him our obedience. God's calling to us is our obedience. Obedience is a signal that we've given our life over to him and we've told him, do with it as you please. Obedience is a signal that our lives are not our own, as 1 Corinthians tells us, because we've been bought with the price. If someone came up to you today, and I'm hoping this happens to me today, but if someone came up to you today and said, I'm going to pay off all your debt, That'd be a great day. But if someone came up to you today and said, I'm going to pay off all of your debt, wouldn't you feel like you owed that person something? I mean, they're taking care of the house, the car, the credit cards, the loans, all of them. Wouldn't you feel like you owed that person something? Even if it's not much, you would say, okay, can I cook you dinner or something? Um, I don't know. But you would feel like you owed that person something, right? Yet... So many of us, we walk around with so little gratitude that Christ has paid the debt that we could never pay. This is a debt far greater than any other financial debt. He's paid the debt that we could never pay. So obedience is that signal that we've given our lives to him and we've told him to do with it as he pleases. We're called to give up everything. Called to give up everything to follow him. Luke chapter 9, I think, probably speaks to this the most clearly. This is from Jesus' own words. Right after he said that we have to die to ourselves and take up our cross, he said this to three people that wanted to follow him. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. Verses will be on the screen. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But Jesus said to him, 
to another, excuse me, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here's three people that I believe genuinely wanted to follow Jesus. They just didn't quite know what it took. And what did Jesus tell them it took? He said, you've got to give up everything. This one guy says, well, I need to go bury my father first. Another guy says, well, I'm going to follow you, but let me go back and say bye to my, to my family at home. And Jesus basically looks at him and he says, you're not ready yet. I don't know if these three men eventually came to know Christ and follow him. But what we do know from that passage is that Jesus told them they weren't ready. Why? Because they weren't ready to give up everything. So we're helpless sinners. He's paid the debt. Now he's asking for our lives. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are a living sacrifice. Does anybody know what, you know, have we ever thought about the implications of what that might mean? We're putting ourselves on the altar daily. It's telling us that we're walking dead men, essentially. It goes back to we need to die to ourselves. So our whole life belongs to him. These days that we're living in are not your days, they're his. Your kids and your family, they're not your kids, they're his. He's put them under your care. They're your responsibility. But your job, your money, all of that's not yours, it's his. And he's just calling us to be obedient with it. He's calling us to be obedient with it. Last several weeks, before Brian took vacation, he was speaking through a series on discipleship. And in doing that, I think just about every sermon, he brought up a quote from Francis Chan. Francis, Francis Chan said in his new book, Multiply, he said, it is impossible to be a disciple of someone and not end up looking like that person. First John discusses that in verse 6. Actually, in verse 5 and 6. He says, by this we know that we are in him. So this is that assurance that we were talking about. How do we know that we're in him? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we need to be looking more and more like Jesus every day that we're on this earth. We need to be walking in his light. So here's the question. Where do you need to surrender to him? What do you need to surrender to him? What part of your life isn't obedient to him? Why is that important? Because he's paid the debt that we owed. This is the debt that we can never repay. We've already said there's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves 
to gain his righteousness. But it's the debt that we could never repay, so shouldn't we owe him something? He's asking for our lives. So because God is light, he exposes the darkness that's within us. He exposes the fact that we are helpless sinners and we're guilty before him. And again, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get out of that guilt. It's man's problem. But in order to have a right relationship with him, he's given us his son. His son who is advocating for us. All we have to do is put our faith and our trust in him. But when we do that, he's asking for our lives. We're called to offer up our lives. Romans 12 again says that we are a living sacrifice. So a lot of times we sing in this church. We didn't this morning, but we sing in this church. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. He says, I will follow you. Are we really committed to that? Are we really committed to following him? Bow your heads. I'm going to ask the band to come forward, but while your heads are bowed, I want you to have a conversation with God on two things. First, I want you to acknowledge and confess your sin before him. Your sins may be too big to count, and that's okay. Just acknowledge the fact that you are a helpless sinner. And there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to get out of your sin. Now I want you to acknowledge how good he is. Acknowledge that he came to the cross, stretched out his arms to die for that sin. To pay that debt that you could never repay. Now I want you to thank him for paying that debt. Offer up your life to him. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you that you were gracious enough to come to earth, to stretch out your arms, to pay the penalty and the debt that I could never repay. Father, thank you that you're far bigger a savior then I am a sinner. There's no sin that I can do that can outstretch your arms. Father, thank you that you've come into my life and these in here lives. 
to rescue us from our sin. Lord, I ask that we would give up our life to you. Everything we say, everything we do, everywhere we go, it would be offered up to you. I ask these things in your name.